John chapter 15. I was really blessed when I was growing up. We went to, um, it was a larger church, but it was a real, real active church. And we had a lot of youth in it. And um, several of whom were um, very devoted followers of Christ. And it was probably after I was actually saved that things started to get more serious. But we would gather at the church sometimes and we would just pray. Sometimes we'd listen to music. Sometimes we'd sing. And um, before we started doing that real heavy, or I guess about the same time, we, we really felt led to um, organize a, a youth night annually, like every month. I think it was every month. Huh? Monthly. Monthly. Thank you. <laughs> Grammar professor over here. <laughs> And um, so we'd go and rent equipment, and we'd set up a stage. In fact, the church loved it so much, they built this little outdoor stage and ran electrical wires to power the equipment that we'd rent every month, and we'd have monthly. And <laughs> we, uh, I don't know, we'd have a couple hundred at least, at least youth that would come. And it was all youth-driven. There was never an adult that did anything. We'd, we'd start it. We'd, we'd do the music. I ran the audio and the sound. And... I got to share the message one night. And it was in the winter then. We usually did it outside, but we were inside that night. And um, I shared John chapter 15. And I don't know that I've ever preached on it since. But I still have it all marked up from that night. And as I read over it today, I was taken back to the thoughts I had at that point years and years ago. And I was thankful that uh, I've come a little further in some of the marks I had scribbled in my Bible back then. (laughs) Um, Not necessarily in performance as far as how I deliver anything. I have no idea. I don't remember. But my thoughts are deeper, as they should be. So read with me John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husband. Husbandman, sorry. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he pruneth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the words which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And the men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. For if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full." 
I'm going to pause there for now. I don't know if I'll get to more. A few years ago, actually, I guess the first year that I was here, some of you will remember this. We had a, well, we always have an Easter sunrise service. And you ask a preacher to do sometimes the hard things, preach two different sermons on the same day. I'm not used to that. In that morning service, I, I began to prepare, and I thought, well, I'm going to start reading out of the book of John, and I'm going to start reading what, what he was telling his disciples right before he went to the cross. And so I'd read a chapter, and I'd flip them back up. I'm like, oh, that, that chapter is included too. And I kept backing up and backing up and backing up. And I came in that morning and basically just read about half of the book of John. Because half the book of John is his last final instructions to us as believers. In fact, if you go forward a few chapters, he does the high priestly prayer, if you want to call it that, and prays over us, directly for us, talking to you and me today. And this is exactly one of those things. This comes after he's washed the disciples' feet, and he is instructing them on how to live. And it's important. I want to start with the end in verse 11 first. I had intended to do this. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. If you want joy in your life, what do you do? The previous 10 verses. Whose joy is that? It's His joy. What kind of joy does He have? Joy enough to go to the cross for me. Complete joy. Because He was completely and totally dependent and obedient on whatever the Father told Him to do is what He would do. And he is giving us instruction. If you want joy tonight, if you want joy in your life, then you need to listen and do the first 10 verses of this chapter. You need to abide in him. So I'm going to go back to verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. That's an old English way of saying my father or God, his father, is the one who prunes and takes care of and cares for the vine. And he is giving us very important instructions here and reminding us that he is the vine and we are merely the branches. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, someone who takes care of a garden, maybe a few things you didn't know about, Brother Steve, I don't know if you'd consider yourself a horticulturalist, but is that a yes? Okay. He's done all kinds of interesting things in his life, including reading roses and designing landscapes and a variety of other things, so he knows maybe this better than the rest of us. What do you do if you want a flourishing bush? You cut it back. We discovered this. We moved into a house years ago and had apple trees. If I didn't take care of those apple trees, would I get good fruit? No. Branches would get too heavy. They wouldn't produce at all. You had, you had to prune them back. You had to take care of them. You had to cut them. That doesn't sound pleasant, does it? Because if we're the branches, what does that mean that Christ has to do to us sometimes? Cut us back a little bit. Again, as I've mentioned over and over again, and I'm not telling you all anything that you disagree with, this is the real danger in the prosperity gospel, because if you just think that you can love God and everything, you get everything you want, that's not the truth. In fact, it's the furthest thing from the truth. If you want to grow in God, if you want to be a part of what God wants to give you, if you want to get your nourishment and your support and your strength from the one who can give you all joy, occasionally he's going to have to trim you. 
and we don't like that. It's never, it doesn't feel good. But sometimes we have to be taught a lesson. And if he doesn't trim us down every once in a while, we're not going to be very fruitful. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he pruneth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, there might be some confusion in this, and I mentioned a parable a couple weeks ago or Sunday. I forget now. It's kind of starting to run together already. Sometimes we can look at these parables and kind of miss the point here. I want to be very clear. There's no works involved in this passage unto salvation. It's not that if I'm not a good Christian, then God's going to cut me out and take me away. Because listen, the Bible clearly teaches that those who are in God, who abide in Him, will produce fruit. Now, some of us may produce more than others, and you may have seasons that you produce more than others. But the question is, are you producing fruit? Because if you're not, it's a sign that you're not in God at all. And so when I think it's reading here, it is talking about how that he will, uh, a branch that doesn't produce any fruit, and then later on, if you skip down, it, it talks about casting it out, burning to the lake of fire. What we're talking about here is those who've never been grafted in, who've never become a part of the body of Christ, who will be cast out. That applies to some of you tonight. Sit with that for a minute. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. It may bring forth much more. Do you want to bear much more? Do you want your joy to be complete? Do you want to walk in someday before the throne of God and let him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? Do you want to experience the joy that only he can give now? Then you need to bear fruit, and when you do, he's going to prune you. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So this is where I said I've grown in my understanding of the scriptures. You know what I wrote next to that verse when I was 17 or something like that? <laughs> I wrote skip. I got the reminder right here. <laughs> you can look at it. I don't think I understood what it meant. And so rather than try and address it, I just, I'll just skip it. That's a pivotal verse, though. It's a key verse. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. What is Jesus Christ himself saying directly to his disciples? You're saved because of the gospel I've preached to you. Now, Jesus got to preach it himself about himself. That's why everyone was so angry at him, because he walks into the temple and calls himself God, rightfully so, because he was. And he tells them how they should live. He tells them what they shouldn't do. He tells them what they should do. And he tells them how they should repent and seek after him and put their faith and trust in him and him alone. And that is the word of God. Amen. He lived it. He was it. The very word of God. You're not clean through your works. You're not clean from the fruit that you produce. You're clean because of your faith in the Word of God and because of what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. Amen. Yes. So there, I didn't skip it this time. 
Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. That's easy to run over. I think that's a promise. I think there's a promise in that verse. That if we would abide in him, he will be in us. And what does it mean to abide? It means to, to have a, a continuous uh, adjoinment, if you will, to, to always be in and with somebody. Abide in me and I will abide in you. We have phrases like in, have, Jesus lives inside of us. He doesn't really live inside of us. That's a figure of speech that we could discuss whether that's entirely appropriate. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. The Spirit of God will live inside of you when you come to know Him. But God Himself, in the form of a Spirit, when you come to know Him, will abide with you. That means everywhere you go, God is there. That means every time you get in uh, some type of fix or some type of problem or, or the, the, the cares of life come before you, every time there's some tragedy in your life, every time you're fearful, every time you're anxious, everything you go through in life, if you know Jesus Christ, He is right there with you. Amen. And that's encouraging. You know when He's also with you? When you do something you shouldn't do. That may be a little discouraging, but you know what? If you think about it, it's actually encouraging. There's nowhere you're going to hide. The scripture says you cannot be hidden. You can't go to the bottom of the ocean or the top of the mountain. You can't go anywhere in the dark. You can't hide in a corner and think that God isn't going to see what you're doing. If you have come to know him, then he is in you and with you at all times. That means he's listening to what you're hearing. He's seeing what you are seeing. He knows what you are saying. And even more intimately, he knows what you're thinking. That is the true God. That is a God that abides inside of me. And while I can't flee from his presence, the psalmist tells us, that should be a comfort to me. And it should also encourage me to do what? To walk the straight and narrow path. Because I can't close the door and hide from him. I don't know what you all do when you leave here. God does. I don't know what you do at work. God does. Don't know what you think about. God does. And if you want joy, you're going to let God abide in you and you in Him. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. And maybe this is where I really intended to go today and it just didn't work out. And so this is a little mini sermon of what I thought I was going to talk about. We get this idea that we're going to help God. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't need my help. He can do whatever he wants to, anytime he wants to, through anyone he wants to. And he's going to accomplish his will. He doesn't need me. He wants me. He wants me to be obedient. He wants me to be a part of the things that he wants me to do. But so many times we somehow think we're going to help God. You know, an area that this is, I think, very crucial and very important. I can't help someone get saved. And you know what? That's kind of frustrating. 
How many of you all have had a family member, a friend, a relative who's like seemingly that close? I remember one night, I don't remember if it was a revival or something, we were at a church and there was a young man there. He'd come down front. And I mean, he wailed. He was so convicted, so upset, wanted so bad to be saved that I wanted to go up and be like, listen, you're good. I can't do that. God's the one who accepts your apology, not me. I can't help him in that situation. He has to get whatever he was holding back out of his own way so that he can finally come before God and get the peace that only he can give. There's been lots of people in the Scriptures, and this is where I thought I was going to go tonight, so we'll take just a minute. This has been lots of people in the Scripture who thought they could help God. One of them thought he could, you know, well, we wouldn't want the Ark of the Covenant to fall, so I'm going to, I'm going to stable it so it doesn't fall over. God wasn't pleased with that. He didn't need that help. Gone. We've already been singing about Peter. Peter got himself in that a few times. Oh, Lord, you don't need to do that. Get behind me, Satan. Peter thought he was going to help God. Didn't work out. Over and over and over again in the Scripture, we see men and women who are thinking they're going to do something right, and exactly they're doing the opposite. But all you have to do is flip on the sometimes the very same pages, and you see people who are doing the right thing. How on earth do you ever know the difference? Wisdom and the voice of God. If you don't know God's voice, if you can't distinguish between what He is telling you and what you are telling yourself, you're going to try to help God listening to yourself and you're going to be wrong. That's not a pleasant place to be. We need to be very, very careful about this and we need to remember that God can do whatever He wants to whenever He wants to. He doesn't need us to help Him. He doesn't need us to think through the situation and make a plan. He doesn't need us to come up with Strategic initiatives. He just needs to use us. Well, he doesn't need to use us. He wants to use us. Just to make sure this is entirely clear, what this passage is saying is that if we want to bear fruit, we have to be attached to whom? To Jesus Christ. Because where do we get our strength and nourishment from? The vine. Again, many of us are not horticulturalists. We don't maybe think about this very often. But if you think about what goes on here, where does the, uh, the nourishment come from with something that's a vine? Not the branch. It comes from the vine itself, from the roots. You take a branch and take it off a tree, what happens? It withers and dies. How many times have I tried to take myself off the tree? And I get all withered and worn out and wonder why on earth I wasn't successful. <laughs> Tell me I'm not the only one who's experienced this. Okay. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. But what I'm saying is we try to help God and then sometimes we just refuse to accept the help He wants and try to do it on our own and that doesn't work out. We need to be very, very, very careful because the only way we can get the life-giving sustenance that we need is through Him. 
And God is a spirit. That means we may not get it the way we think we would physically, but he's not a God of physical. He's not a physical God. He's a spiritual God. I am the vine, he says. You are the branches. We have a lot of people in this world who want to be the vine. It doesn't work that way. He that abides in me continues steadfastly living in God, and I in him. We saw that promise earlier. If we uh, abide in God, he abides in us. We bring forth how much fruit? Much fruit. This ties in with, I think, what I was trying to preach earlier about the talents that we have. Where does the increase come? Not from me, but from God. God gives us certain things. He gives us certain abilities, and He wants us to apply them for His good. But He's the one that gives the increase. It's not about me. It's about Him. For you can do nothing without me. He doesn't say you can do 10%. He doesn't say if you try really hard on your own, you're good. It's nothing. You can either bear much fruit with him or you can do nothing. That's a big difference. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. He is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Again, as we pointed out with the servants and the talents, it's not a matter of what you produce because that's all with God. It's a matter of whether you are joined with Him, whether you've been saved. You see, the reality is you may live an okay life being separated from God. Some of you may have gone on for a decade or two or three or four Some of our brethren have testified they went on for many decades without him. Maybe never realizing they were withering. Never realizing they were destined to be thrown into the lake of fire. Until they met God. And became alive. And some here may be separated in a sense, in this sense, and be destined for hell. We don't talk about that very much, do we? I don't talk about that very much. Maybe I should talk about it more. That's what I always hear. I hear about, well, back in the day, it was hellfire and brimstone. Well, let me just make this abundantly clear. If you do not know Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin, your eternal destination is a place called hell. You know what's so horrible about it? Jesus in there. Does it burn? Yeah. Is it dark? Yes. You going to go down there and party? No. In fact, I kind of think, based on what I think I know about it, I think you'll be utterly alone forever Amen. in pain. Now, why would a loving God do that? Because a loving God is a just God. And you are not just. You do not deserve the good things that he has in life. And I think this is a really hard message, particularly now and particularly in this country, because we are awfully used to getting really good things. And a few people who've got a few more years on me than I do 
will agree with me wholeheartedly. It ain't like it used to be. It's not like it used to be when I was a kid. We're used to getting really good things. We're used to getting whatever we want. I think some of the old timers knew it wasn't like that. I'm not saying it was easier, it was different. And look at where we're at now and consider your state. Because if you are not saved, your destination is to be cut off and thrown into a burning lake of fire and utter darkness, wandering alone without Jesus Christ forever. Think about how long that is. Now, the alternative to that is that you know the free pardon of sin, that you've been saved, and you not only get a great reward, which is heaven, which is exactly the opposite of that, it is Total presence with Jesus Christ. How long? Forever. He's always there. And there is no sun, but there's always light. And you get the reward forever. But you know, I don't know if I say even better than that, but you know the part we often forget in this, we get them now too. See, that's the part that comes down to my joy. We get to have him now. I get to grow in Him. I get to produce fruit, not because I'm a good branch, not because I can do it on my own, but because God is giving me the gifts and talents and abilities to actually produce the good things that He wants me to. Not because He can't do it, but He's doing it in spite of me sometimes, and He's helping me to do good things. He tells us again, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will and it shall be done unto you. Ooh, how you like that one? Ask whatever you want, it'll be done unto you. Boy, I struggled with that for a few years. Does that mean if I ask for a really nice car, he's going to give it to me? Well, nobody said yes. It means if I ask really nicely for a million dollars, I'll get it? What kind of prayers does God listen to? I think he listens to all of them if you know if you know them. Let me rephrase that. I think this is talking about things that bring him honor. And many times we're very selfish in our prayers. Many times we are not led of the Lord to pray for the things that we actually need because we're too busy praying for the things we want instead of what we actually need. We don't do a good enough job identifying what we actually need. Because we just want and want and want. I also think this is some encouragement. Brothers and sisters, as was said last night, there's an interesting relationship here. I do believe, I agree, the scripture bears out, and the brother mentioned it last night, that God does have to uh, awaken you and call you into repentance. But you have to respond as well. And if he hasn't called you, Your duty is to seek Him until He does. That's your first and only priority. Then He goes on and says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. A few verses before this, He says, How does the world know who you are? I'm not going to find it. If you follow Him. So not only does abiding with Him, being close to Him, letting Him live inside of your life, 
letting him be the one that feeds you, letting him be the one that guides and directs you, rather than trying to do it for him, but depending on him and doing whatever it is that he has you to do, being obedient, being faithful servant to him, not only do you get to produce much fruit, but this is how we glorify our God. Think about that. If God has saved you and released you from the curse of sin, don't you think you want to glorify Him? How do you do that? You bear fruit. How do you bear fruit? You stay close to Him. How do you do that? You pray. You read the Scripture. You spend time with other people who are believers as well. You make sure that you keep from the things that you shouldn't be doing, that you try to do the things that you should be doing, that you develop this closer and closer and closer relationship. And to bring all this together, you listen to the voice of God and are obedient to what He wants you to do. And what happens? He gives the increase. And that is how we glorify Him. Discipleship is critical here. Discipleship means that we follow after Him. You know, the New Testament actually has some really sad parts. Jesus Christ at one time had a huge following. Huge. And almost all of them ran away. There were more than just the 12 disciples. And some of them left. One of them betrayed Him. But our Father is glorified and we become His disciples and follow after Him. Another translation reads it this way, This is how my Father shows who He is when you produce fruit, when you are mature as my disciples. Listen to that again. Notice the key difference. This is how my Father shows who He is when you produce fruit, when you mature as my disciples. You mentioned the other night, maybe things aren't quite like they used to be. Of course, if you were here last night, listen to, to Bruce read that section. We know that everyone's been complaining that things aren't how they used to be since nearly the beginning of time. But that aside, things aren't quite like they used to be. Whose fault is that? Is it my fault? Is it your fault? This is how my father shows who he is when you produce fruit. We want to change this world, we need to start producing fruit. We want a different government, a bunch of people are voting right now, well, it's probably closed. We need to produce fruit. We want to change the course of this world, listen, if the Holy Spirit and a handful of ragtag people who probably couldn't hardly read and write in an upper room, can have the Holy Spirit come on them and change the entire world up from upside down to right side out only because the Holy Spirit is in on them, then there is no reason that this people in this room right here can't do it. But we have to produce the fruit because we stay with and abide in God, not on our own. It's not my own plan to go out and do this. It's what God would have me to do. And until I'm obedient, I'm being disobedient. Do you want your father glorified? You said they're not. Do you want people to look at you and say there's something different about you? Do we look different to the world? Or do we look like everybody else who just happens to go somewhere strange on a Sunday? And it's 6 p.m. at night this week. We have to ask ourselves these questions. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. How perfectly did the Father love His Son? 
Absolutely perfect. We talked about this the other day, too. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here's the key. We have to do what he tells us to. Now, again, I, I don't know how to be any more explicit, and I know I'm probably wearing patience here. What are his commandments? Well, I could run through a few of them. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. Share the testimony of the word of God with others. What else are his commandments? Don't steal, don't cheat, all those things. What else did he command us to do? Is to share his love with others. To be fruitful. To be obedient. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. What else is he commanding you to do? I want to make this very particular and specific tonight because I want you to really think about what is it that he wants you to do. It can be something small. I need to call this person and talk with them. I need to go visit. I need to visit with a friend of mine. Maybe I just need to love them. Maybe I need to call them out. Maybe I'm supposed to be obedient to something that God has told me to do. I don't know what he has commanded you to do. There are precepts that everyone is to follow. And sometimes, for some of us, very specific things that we are to do. Now, I've seen people take this way too far. I'm going to give you an example I've given before at church. I think sometimes we think that if God doesn't tell us exactly what to do, we shouldn't do it. And I give this example. I see a frail, older woman fall while walking down the sidewalk. I don't have to pray about what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to help her up. Okay? Does that make sense? God has already told you what he wants you to do, and our job is to go out and do it. And when we begin to do what he's already told us to do, then he will reveal more specifically the things you are to do for him very specifically. I told you twice in my life, very specifically ordered to do things. One was when I was saved. Do you know how I started? I started reading the scriptures every night before it actually happened because I was being obedient to what I knew in my head he told me to do until I met him with my heart. And God used that to prepare me so that when he called me, I would be responsive. Later in life, when I was called to preach, it worked in a very similar way. It was a very spiritual point in my life. I was very close to the Lord. I was listening and reading books. I was studying. I was praying. I was doing everything I felt like I was supposed to do. And that's when he used all of that to tell me that I'm supposed to be a preacher. So you need to consider what you need to do generally if you want to have a revelation specifically of what he wants you to do. Prepare your heart for what it is that he's going to do. Strengthen yourself by being close and abiding with him so that he can then tell you and feed you the fruit that you need to bear. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You see, Jesus Christ did the same thing. I preached a sermon a while back I was talking about, and I can't recall the verse because I didn't really prepare for tonight, but there's a verse that talks about how Jesus Christ, and he says that he was always looking up to see what his father told him to do. 
I told you about my dog. We have this little toy. She sits there, and it's fixated on my hand. She's waiting to see what I'm going to do. Sometimes she starts shaking because she's so excited. She's so fixated on what I'm going to do. Listen, do you watch God that closely? Think about it. Are you that attentive? Because Jesus was. He looked up to see what his father did, and he did it down here on earth. That's why he was perfect, among other reasons. But he was fully God and fully man, so that means he had an option. But he chose to do what his father commanded him to do. And we are no different. We must be totally fixated on what our Father wants us to do. But if we're not in the right mood and we're expecting God to come along and answer one of our questions or our prayers, sometimes. If you've not been walking with God and growing in Him and fully attached to the vine and already producing fruit, do you think He's going to tell you which college you should go to or which job you're supposed to take? Then there's other times that we sit and we wait and we know that God's telling us to do something. Boy, have I heard this be a problem sometimes. You hold on to it, you sit on it, you sit on it, you're disobedient, you're disobedient until you feel like you're going to give a heart attack before you just have to do something. Does God have to give you a heart attack to get you to do something? I mean, I've been there. I'm not being critical. That shouldn't be the case. Shouldn't be the case. That brings us to the close. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. We are supposed to be abiding in Him. We are supposed to be connected to Him, getting everything we need from the vine. We are supposed to be close to Him and producing fruit. How much fruit? Much fruit. Lots of fruit. Why? Because that's what we're called to do, and that's how we glorify our Father. That's how a lost and dying world sees that God is real, is by our actions and our fruit that is spurred by the Holy Spirit. We must be very close to Him if we want to produce fruit. And if you're not producing fruit, it may be because you're trying to do it on your own. And that's not going to work. It'll lead to failure. It'll lead to disappointment. It'll lead to heartache. It'll lead to anything but that full joy that he wants to give you. Some of you are dead branches. And at some point, your life will be cut short or long. Either way, your life will be cut and you'll be cast off. And for those of you who find yourself in that situation, the only thing that absolutely matters today is whether you're going to be a part of the vine. And for the rest of us, I think we need to get out of our own way and let God move us. If you want God to tell you something specifically, start getting your heart right. If you want God to tell you something specifically, if you have a specific request, if you have a specific desire, if you want to know whether it's of God or not, then you need to start studying the scriptures. You need to stop 
spending time with him. You need to remove the things from your life that are causing you distractions. You need to focus on him. Because he is the vine. And we're just little branches. But we have a purpose. We have a use. Because God loves us. And it pleases him to give his children the kingdom. And I'm thankful for that. So let's have a song, an opportunity, unless there's something on somebody's heart. That's really the conclusion that I have for tonight. And I want you to really consider, are you part of the vine? Are you a branch? Or are you not? And I want you to consider, if you're waiting for God to tell you something specifically, are you being obedient in the small things, the things he's already told you to do? What are you going to do tonight to be obedient to what God wants you to do? What are you going to do tonight that's going to demonstrate that he cares for you?